श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय को भक्तवृंद की जय को प्रेमानंद बोले श्री ग्रंथरा श्रीमद् भागवतम की जय आई वांट स्पीक ब्रीफली फ्रॉम श्रीमद् भागवत भागवत पुराण So most of you are familiar with the Bhagavad Purana, I assume. It is um, consists of seventeen, eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand verses, approximately. Sanskrit verses, most of them uh, poetry, verse, and some of it in prose, with a vast majority in in poetry, and twelve um, books, eighteen thousand verses, twelve cantos, or twelve different books. The um, poetry of the Bhagavatam is very beautiful, and of course, very profound at the same time. And I like to say, as I have on other occasions, that poetry is a very nice language, an appropriate language for trying to speak about something that transcends the limits of speech and thought, which is, of course, the nature of the uh, absolute. From where words having gone, they return. Where from where mind having gone returns returns means it didn't didn't get there, <laughs> could not completely, adequately, do justice to the experience. Wittgenstein said something like that. Also, you may be familiar. I can't remember his quote, but maybe Bill remembers. No, about words he spoke. What? Anyway, <laughs> so um, poetry. It's a nice language. It's a different language from mathematics, of course, which is a descriptive language. No harm there, but it lends itself then, as we've seen in the modern society, to the idea that everything can be described hmm? and, <laughs> and captured. The implication would be, and uh, and then used for. Uh, our own purpose, so to speak, and uh, the poetry of the Bhagavatam seeks to uh, dispel that idea. And again, as I say, poetry tends to try to. Well, it's a, it's more of a participatory language. It seeks to seeks to help us participate in the world and in the sense that we all have as human beings that the world is something that uh, this is, I think, inherent in, in, in human beings, the sense that uh, the world is more than what meets the eye and the mind, that, that there's a more to it all, there's, there's a meaning to it. Hmm. This is, a, of course, intuitive sense of all human beings and some people in the modern world today would like us to think that 
intuition is not something that uh, is, to, is necessarily reliable, and that's true, of course. I might have an intuition to turn left, and another in the car might say, I think we should turn right, and the answer might be that we should have gone straight. But uh, when the intuitive sense is pervasive in the entirety of human society, it's a little harder to dismiss. Hmm? But still, we might dismiss it if there were observable evidence to demonstrate um, definitively that our intuition was wrong, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, and also, the intuitive sense that I'm speaking about, that there's more to life, is from the Vedantic point of view, a sense of our own self that we're starting to experience in human society, that we are the more, if you will. We are, in the uh, language of Vedanta, we are, we are consciousness, and consciousness is, is causal and primal, and logically it's very hard to get around that, because obviously it, it, even to deny that it requires consciousness. So consciousness is, is, is all that we know that exists, really, and we know it subjectively. <laughs> so um, this is the subject of Bhagavatam consciousness, the nature of consciousness, and so forth. And it seeks to speak about it um, through, langu- through a poetic language and, um, and to, uh, in a way, to, try to kind of help us, uh, I- I- uh, you know, as I say, it, uh, in poetry, the moon can have wings and fly across the sky. There's no... Th- 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 all possibilities... Uh, exist, the our material mind tends to make us think that mm, maybe that's not possible at times. Hmm? Um, but for the self, then the idea is its homeland, if you will, is a land in which there is where the word impossible is not found in the dictionary. Hmm? So We come here in Bhagavatam to, I've been discussing it as we've traveled here and there, to um, the seventh chapter, fifth verse. And it's a very interesting section of the, of the book because in this section of the book we find out what the author of the book experienced that gave rise to what he has written. Hmm? Earlier in the text it was mentioned that the legendary author of all the Vedic texts, Vyas, the editor, if you will, was feeling somewhat despondent, even though that he had weighed in from a knowledge perspective in a way that uh, 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 nothing else could compare to the weight of the knowledge that he had um, participated in in making manifest, the Veda, was uh, deep and profound, and still he was unsatisfied. So Narada, his guru, appeared on the scene, of course, kind of hovering in the air without touching the ground. He's kind of described like that. It's uh, meant to help us try to understand that, that if we want to find satisfaction and, uh, in, in life, 
we need um, we need help from outside of ourselves. In other words, um, if the finite is to know the infinite, then it will be on the infinite's terms. Otherwise, it's not possible. How can the finite know the infinite unless the infinite, out of its infinite capacity, desires to have itself known? Hmm? And so the infinite is is big and can do anything, and so uh, the teacher who comes from that side is not an ordinary person. He or she is bearing extraordinary knowledge that can only be uh, gathered, gained, and uh, in, in a particular way, and so forth. So uh, Narada is depicted in that way. Don't expect your guru to walk in and not touch the ground necessarily, but he is metaphorically speaking, in the world she is, but not of the world, hmm? is the idea. So, Because bearing, again, a kind of knowledge and an insight that is not, uh, is not uh, available uh, from this side, if you will. You can't get it from between your, your ears. Hmm? Um, this is the whole idea of of revelation, the basic underlying idea of revelation. If we are to be, if we are to attain perfect knowledge, and certainly we all pursue that, in as much as all action is informed by knowledge, and um, we want to act in such a way that we'll be perfectly happy, so we need some perfect knowledge to do so. So if we are in pursuit of perfect knowledge, some people say we're, or we're not in pursuit of perfect knowledge. But I don't think that I think that actions speak louder than words, and by our actions we can determine that well, everyone is seeking perfect knowledge and trying to be perfectly happy. And so um, we need a perfect method to do that. So our instruments, the idea of the Vedanta, our senses, our minds, our intellect are imperfect instruments. And as I said, so we need a perfect method. So this is the folding of the hands. This is the, this is the perfect method, if you will, that let me situate myself in such a way that the that reality will choose to reveal itself to me. Otherwise, what is my hope? What is my chance? What is the possibility? This is a, a humble way of, of going forward. It's um, Grover Cleveland put it something like this. Uh, I don't know if he was thinking about the same thing, but he said, if you love someone, They'll tell you all the secrets. That's a very beautiful and profound idea. So the, the, the bhakti tradition of the Bhagavatam, Narada came in to Vyasa's despondencies and he said, you haven't spoken about love sufficiently. You have not spoken about bhakti sufficiently. Hmm? Although you have knowledge, that's good. Knowledge can retire ignorance, but the mere retirement of ignorance in and of itself is not the full meal of satisfaction. If I have a disease, if I have cancer and I'm taken to the clinic and then uh, you know, I'm, I'm treated and so forth and then I'm told you're, 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 you're cured, you know, that the cancer has been... Um, dissolved or whatever. Hmm? That's certainly a relieving moment. Hmm? But uh, I still have to get up out of the bed and 
go home and enter my whole life and so forth. And if I was to stay in the hospital and just say, I don't have cancer anymore, I don't have, that might become problematic. <laughs> I have no cancer, I have no cancer. I mean, you can say that joyfully for a while, but after a while it's going to get a little boring. And so uh, this was kind of how Vyasa is depicted here, and Nard is coming to tell him there's more to that. Hmm? Love is not merely the putting an end to exploitation and to taking, hmm? but it's actually giving and, and a wise giving. So we have to find the proper center and to give there and so forth. And so you should, he told him, write something about Bhagwan and Bhakti in such a way that people who read your books know and know in no uncertain way. Hmm? what these texts are all really pointing to, either directly or indirectly. He said, He said, you are qualified. He said, you should sit in samadhi. You are qualified. He gave the qualifications also. And, and what arises out of your samadhi, based on how I'm instructing you now, that will then give rise to your final work hmm, in the mature stage of your realization. And that should be the hub around which all of the sacred texts of the East, the Eastern Revelation, should orbit and should be understood in context. In other words, if we have a center, central hub, the scripture speaks about many things and goes and seems to go in many directions and so forth, but to understand how it's all working to either directly or indirectly make the, a concerted point to us by which understanding and pursuing we can become fully happy. Yayatna, samprasidati, the self can become fully satisfied. Hmm? He said, uh, the, the work you will, you will, your meditation will give rise to, that will, will be such. Hmm? Uh, so here we come to the section now where he has, where uh, his trance of, of meditation, his samadhi, is being described. What was the nature of his experience as he entered into the trance? And then this then is the hub around which this particular book orbits and will be understood. And here we find the doctrine of Beda Bed, Achintya Beda Bed. A particular type of Vedanta. Hmm? There are different schools of Vedanta, of course, and uh, they all have their uh, their value. Hmm? They are different angles of vision, if you will, on the multifaceted jewel of the Absolute. If you look from one side, you'll see in one way, another side from another way. Hmm? But uh, what is presented here in Bhagavatam as the mature s stage, as I say, of Vyasa's realization is, uh, is, is not a one doctrine of oneness, which we find in some forms of Vedanta, neither a doctrine of difference, neither a doctrine of oneness sometimes and difference sometimes, or, but, but a doctrine of oneness and, and difference that is interpenetrable, inter interpenetrable and uh, which is... Uh, simultaneous, which is difficult to conceive of, achintya. So, 
that's a detailed subject matter, obviously, and complex, but suffice to say at the moment, it is a foundation, if you will, a philosophical, metaphysical foundation on which a life of of divine love can, uh, a stage on which a life of divine love can be performed, a, a canvas on which a life of divine love can be can be painted. And the author, as you know, of the Bhagavatam, some of you are familiar with this, go on to paint the beautiful leelas of Krishna and speak about them in such a way as to try to convey to us that there is a possibility of, of a union with the Absolute in, that is analogous to the, the kind of intimacy that you might have in romantic love or in, in, in friendship or in, in parenthood and so forth. But it's, this, is, this is centered in such a way that um, it, 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 will, uh, uh, it, won't be, it won't end and it will reach its fullest uh, potential. Those types of loving sentiments that we are somewhat acquainted with in in this world. So he here is the anyway the canvas that he's lying laying uh, the the foundation that is uh, 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 drawn on which all of this will be built, culminating in the the canto of of uh, describing the leelas in in detail and so forth. So it's. If you understand this section, then um, you're really free, if you will. You're really free to understand the leela in in the in, in the, the fullest sense. I was talking with Bill earlier, and I, he was asking me some questions, and I told him the Bhagavatam story of Krishna's leelas is like a book, a movie based on a true story. Hmm? It's based on a true story. The true story is that, that, that we have a potential to love that can find its fulfillment in the Absolute, and that love is, of course, reciprocal, and it will be evaluated on a scale of how much reciprocation and intimacy is afforded. And so those who have that experience try to talk about it poetically in a way <laughs> to bring us within that. So the, those leelas are... Uh, uh, what they are there and, and more, something like that. Hmm? So, here we are then in the fifth verse, and the subject is the jiva, or ourselves. He says, Yaya sammohito jiva, atmanam tribunatmakam, poropi manute nartam, tatkritam chavipadyate. He says that. Um, Yaya jiva. Jiva is the word in the Bhagavatam for the for the atma, jivatma, a kind of a, a unit of life, jiva, a unit of living. Um, in Bhagavatam, here at all, not here, but in another place, it also says that about these jivas in this world. Jivo jivasya, jivanam. Here it says, Yaya sammohita jiva. This jivo jivasya jivana is the sammohita of the jiva. Jivo jivasya jivanam means 
One living being is food for another. This is the struggle for existence that uh, Darwin identified. We can definitely say for a fact hmm, that one living being is food for another. We can definitely say that living beings adapt according to circumstances in order to survive. Hmm? I don't mean to say that I would take Darwinian evolution and make it, as some people do, the, the, the orbit, the hub around which everything is to be understood. Hmm? After all, it kind of comes in the middle. Biological evolution starts after somehow chemicals turn into, <laughs> into life, and, and the chemistry turned into biology. That's the one end that's certainly not clear. And then on the other end, something called consciousness uh, uh, evolved, which is unnecessary. <laughs> In other words, it's not necessary to have consciousness in order to survive. And the theory is, of course, that, that things we adapt and we change uh, out of necessity for survival. Hmm? Consciousness is unnecessary for, for survival, <laughs> but it's the most important thing to all of us. It's, it's, it, it, it is, it is, uh, it is really, really ourselves, the subjective side of life. So, you know, some people have said, well, it's kind of like bile, you know, excretes from, from liver or something, or something like that. Something like that, you know, the consciousness comes out. But I mean, these are two, <laughs> bile and the gallbladder are two of the same thing. They're, they're, they're both physical. Hmm? Conscious, they're both objective. Uh, consciousness is subjective. It's an entirely different uh, entity. Of course, many people try to make it into a, into something material, um, and and that's also some mohita jiva. That is the bewilderment of the of the jiva, if you will. But uh, maybe we will go into that a bit. But first, jiva jiva sajivana. One living being is food for another. This is a fact. Hmm? The Bhagavatam agrees with. Darwin here. There's a struggle for existence, and but it says here, mohita jiva, that there's a jiva, and the jiva is some mohita, very confused, bewildered. In the previous verse, it was described how Vyas sat in his ashram, went into his meditation, and he saw. What did he see? He says. This verse is picking up on the last line of the previous verse. Mayam chatad apashrayam. So he saw, he said, Samyak pranahite amale. Pranahite means like still. Amale means. Pure, hmm? samyak, like uh, fully, completely, hmm? with a mind completely still and pure on his mind, free from the vrittis. Chitta vritti nirodha, sutras of Patanjali say, we should come to this. Chitta vritti nirodha. The vrittis means like waves, of, like you want to say mental c constructs. Hmm? They are dissolved. 
like the waves in the, in the, in the ocean, it is still, the mind becomes still. Hmm? But here we find bhakti vritti, udai. <laughs> On his mind there's another vritti. Hmm? Rupa Goswami says it something like this. He says, Sudashatva visheshatma prema suryamsu samibhak. There is that the devotee's mind in samadhi, it becomes t- taken over by bhava, by another shakti. Sammohita jiva means the jiva is moving under the influence of a particular shakti, the maya shakti. In bhakti, mahatmas tumam parto daivim prakritim ashrita, daivim prakritim ashritaha. In bhakti, the devotee is also moving. He's still but moving. How can you be still but moving? Bhagwan is still but moving. Brahman is everywhere. How can it move? If you're everywhere, how can you move? But he's moving. This is Leela. Leela is a still movement. You understand? Leela is a movement that is not out of some necessity, other than the necessity to celebrate one's fullness. In material existence, we move jivo jivasajivanam, because one living being is food for another. If I don't keep moving, I'm somebody's dinner. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> so we're moving out of necessity. Of course, that necessity that, that's causing us to move is our own past, coming to haunt us, and the seeds that we've sown, we're reaping the fruits. We are takers in material existence. We've identified with, um, with, 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 with the maya shakti that's mentioned in his previous verse. He saw in his trance... He, of uh, pure, still mind, bhakti came on his mind. Hmm? Bhakti yoga manasi. In the context of bhakti yoga, his mind became still. That means all the material vrittis stopped, but the vritti of Bhagwan came on his mind. Ladini hmm? shakti, samvit shakti, the swarup shakti of Bhagwan. Hmm? I want to talk about it like this for a moment then. In this world we move in pursuit of love. Everybody wants to love and be loved. So we're looking, looking everywhere for that, right? And as I said before, that's a kind of movement that's, uh, we're moving on empty. And you're trying to become full, trying to find love. Now when you find love, what happens? You rest for a minute. Ah, no, no, you've got to get busy again. Hmm? Love has a movement, an orbit of its own, right? Love is not still, it's moving, it's dynamic. Hmm? It's a movement and, and it has ups and downs. But even as down as it goes, you don't get off because you know it has the highs. And so, Rupa Goswami says like this He says, I hear Eva Gati Premis Sobhavaguti Love of it. Love, love of God moves like a snake, not straight, but like this. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me. This is Krishna speaking. She loves me, she loves me not. What should I do, Subal? She loves me, she loves me not. Hmm? Radha's bhakti, hmm? in the full sense of the term. And Krishna is completely, is moving. Brahman is moving. Understand? 
under the influence of bhakti, bhakti shakti. This is the swarup shakti. Hmm? Krishna says, "Ame shishu guru nata radikar premero unmata." I am the student, and Radha's dancing is the guru. Her love drives me mad. Hmm? Vyas saw Bhagwan. Seeing Bhagwan means what? He saw the Surup Shakti. If he saw Brahman only, that that would be another thing. In Brahman, people love to exist. In Bhakti and in Bhagwan, who corresponds with Bhakti, people exist to love only. Now, <coughs> uh, different, different, different insights into the nature of being and transcendence and what the possibilities are that lie in for, for the jiva hmm? on the subjective side of life. Bhakti seeks to plumb the depths of this. Hmm? And there we find the very source, the sun of consciousness, dancing to the... Uh, in, 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 in an effort to attract the attention of Radha. Bhakti, in other words, bhakti has the power to to uh, kind of arrest Bhagwan, capture him. Hmm? So he says, in bhakti yoga, I saw Bhagwan, and the implication is, by seeing Bhagwan, he had to see the Surup Shakti. You understand? Hmm? Indeed, he's influenced by that. That is what what is. That is the essence of bhakti itself. The essence of the Surup Shakti is bhakti. He saw Bhagawan. He saw his Surup Shakti. means he saw Radha and Krishna. He saw Krishna and his entourage, which are one with him and different from him. Radha's love, that is the full measure of bhakti, has to have an object of love that it corresponds with. In a chintabeda bed, a doctrine like this, a doctrine of love, there have to be two. The two have to become one. But that unity is a, is a very dynamic unity. I've said before that if you and I become one, we become we. It's not that you disappear and then I disappear, but it's a new. We're to, it's we. We. Both of us are there. Hmm? And we're one. I can say, Madhav and I are one. Doesn't mean I'm you or that you're me, but we're one, right? We are one in purpose, something like that. Hmm? This is a much more charming, beautiful meaning than a, than a oneness that's arrived at by eliminating everyone else. <laughs> so, this is the idea of the unity of bhakti. So he he had experience of this, and then it says what? Apashat purusham punam mayam chatadapashrayam. So he saw Bhagwan. He saw this. He saw bhakti, that is the, that is Krishna's swarup shakti. How do we How we shall we understand that swarup shakti? It means something like this. Bhagwan, Sri Krishna, wants to taste himself. He's sweetness personified. So he manifests as Radha to taste himself. If you look closely at Krishna. Real close, you will eventually see, oh, there's Radha. If you look closer still, you'll see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? 
the two become one, one becomes two, the two become one. Hmm? These are higher ideas of of bhakti and how a chintya beta beta plays out in the context of of, of lila. Hmm? It means there's the love of Radha is Krishna. Her love has an object that at a necessity that it corresponds with. Krishna is, needs need, needs to become an object of love in order to fully experience his sweetness. He becomes the object of love for Radha by manifesting his surup shakti externally. Hmm? <laughs> then he becomes the object of her love and then in this way he tastes himself in bhakti and that bhakti of Radha then is touch of that is, comes to all of us through the Guru Parampara. Hmm? So this all fine and well, but now it says he also saw something else. He saw Maya Shakti at some distance in the background. Hmm? So he entered into Samadhi. He didn't see, he didn't, it, everything didn't dissolve. Hmm? He saw, he experienced some variety hmm? within the unity of 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 of, of uh, conscious the consciousness world, everything conscious, but some variety that doesn't compromise the unity. So he saw Maya. Now when he says comes to our verse tonight, he says, and he saw the Jiva, he saw Bhagwan, he saw Surup Shakti, he saw Maya Shakti, and now he says, I see Jiva Shakti, and I see Jiva Shakti, and let me he says, Yaya Samohita Jiva. Atmanam Trigunatmakam. I saw the Jiva Shakti. He said, he says he saw the Jiva Shakti, and if he's going to talk about the Jiva Shakti, he says, I better say more about that Maya Shakti. I mentioned the author says, I saw the Jiva, the Maya Shakti at a distance. Now I saw the Jiva Shakti. Oh, and yeah, if I'm going to talk about the Jiva Shakti, I better make an after afterthought. A further mention of Maya Shakti. Therefore, Jiva Sammohita. He saw the Jiva, and the Jiva is bewildered by Maya. He wants to say a number of things by this. One thing he wants to say is there is such a thing as a Jiva, an individual unit of consciousness, if you will. And it's different than Bhagwan in that Sammohita. It can be bewildered by Maya. Whereas Mayam Chatad Apashrayam, he saw Maya from some at some distance, it means it cannot approach him. The Maya Shakti cannot approach the Swarup Shakti and Bhagwan. Where there's light there can be no darkness. So it has its influence in another realm and it has an influence over the Jiva. And that influence in one sense, constitutes uh, the life that we experience that is a struggle in which our existence appears to be threatened if we don't do something. If we don't get busy, hmm, we don't eat, we may die. Hmm. I owe, I owe, it's so off to work, I go. Something like that. So this is, uh, this is, this is a bewilderment, hmm, a bewildered condition. So a word about Maya, the point here is, is appropriate if we are to talk about the nature of the self. 
The self has the capacity, apparently, to be in this condition where it is bewildered. And that's not hard to agree with. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so what is the nature of that bewilderment? The idea in the Bhagavatam is that let us talk about the nature of the bewilderment. Let's talk about the objective world in a particular way. The Bhagavatam is talking about the objective world not like a, uh, like a, 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 a physicist will talk about the material world. That's not its purpose. Hmm? It does talk about the material world. But it wants to talk about the material world in terms of what it feels it is essentially about, and what is important to know about it, in terms of the pursuit of all jivas, which is to be fully happy and have perfect knowledge and so forth. Hmm? So we find, if we look carefully, every time that the Bhagavad is speaking about the material world, we understand its purpose. Why is it speaking about the world? It wants to help us. All it all has one purpose, the Bhagavatam, and all the texts for that matter, that, this, that the Bhagavatam is the hub of hmm? to help the jiva understand itself and its potential, its possibilities, hmm? and so forth, hmm? that are so much clouded and covered by the influence of Maya, so much so that we that we we practically act as if we are uh, uh, we are matter. And some people start to think that we are matter, when in fact matter only matters <laughs> if there's something other than matter to think about it. Hmm? And thinking about it is so much different from matter. I mean, matter is what you know, like what do they say, like billiard balls bumping into. There's nothing. It doesn't matter how many atoms you have. You're not going to get consciousness by adding them all t- all together. Hmm? So. It wants to talk about the material world in a particular way at different times. One time in the Bhagavatam it says, think of the world like this. Look at the world, uh, Sukadev tells Parikshit. Look at the world of Maya, matter. Matter actually, the, the, the English word matter comes from the Latin mater, mother. Hmm? Of course, the Vedic Mother Nature, and of course, the Vedic texts also have this idea that that there's the womb of material nature, and these are very poetic ideas out of which we are uh, we are born. Hmm? Of course, you know, you need a father, you know, for that too. So there's the seed of consciousness that comes out of the womb of material nature, and and so forth. Mother, hmm? to and to personify that in a way, whether they did it in Europe in times gone by, you know, Mother Nature, or they may do it today, uh, you know, maybe the Gaia uh, idea, they did it in previous times in the Vedic literature, positing the goddess Maya, Durga, or she has different names and so forth. I don't think that this is a lesser way of speaking about the world or a confused way of speaking about the world. Hmm? Um, if, you under, if it is more of a, um, of a poetic way, hmm, if you will, of speaking about the world, and again, poetry is a language that is meant to help us participate 
in the world rather than control the world and by participating I mean being involved and being a contributor a giver a lover and if you love something as I said earlier then it will tell you all its secrets so it's advocating a particular way of interacting with nature that that its secrets might be revealed that will not be revealed if we try to control and conquer nature so which is which is maya <laughs> which is futile this is absolutely futile i'll go into that if, if, if we have time but uh but first of all i said bhagavatam sukadev tells parikshit maharaj start like this i want you're absorbed in the world you're concerned about your death he was the raj the king and he was going to die and he heard in seven days so he went to sit on the bank of the ganges and he asked what's going to happen to me uh, i'm going to die what should i do what's important hmm? So you're concerned about your death. The world is closing in on you. Hmm? Anyone who's concerned about their death is concerned about their worldliness and its possible demise or inevitable demise. And so he said, given that this is the predicament of all people, start like this, he said. Start like this. Think of the world like this. Think of the sun and the moon as the two eyes of God. Think of the trees as the hairs on his body. Think of the mountains as his bones and so forth. I mean, this is not a biological, a chemical, or a, you know, a, a mathematical kind of explanation of the world. Hmm? And the Bhagavatam says it's, really not, it's not really concerned with giving one. It wants you to, th it, it, it posits, think about the world in this way, such that it will promote hmm, a communion, if you will, with the Godhead. In other words, if you see the world as a manifestation of God and you treat it, deal with it accordingly, then you're not trying to control it for a purpose of your own. Within limits, you may be a steward of it and control it and examine it and, and, and so on and so forth, but with an entirely uh, a, a different, a particular purpose. Not just control it for the sake of controlling it and get out of it, take from it whatever is there and so on and so forth. Later on, we find in third canto of Bhagavatam, is also speaking about the natural world. Oh, he says, there is earth and there is Sankhya. There's earth and there's fire and there's water, there's liquidity and there's solidity and there's movement, air and so forth and this and element and that and, and kind of descriptive we call it sankhya. The Bhagavatam is using a, 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 the, the, the descriptive language of the world at that time hmm? and, and, and for what purpose? The whole purpose is to know the world in such a way, to look at the world in such a way, to understand the world in such a way, to see it as a covering of the self that has to be, that if it's uncovered, its full potential will be realized. Later in the fifth canto, it speaks about the world. Vishwanachakwati hmm? Thakur, at the onset of that fifth canto, it says, the Raj had, there were people in the audience. By this time, the Raj Pritchard is a bhakta. Well, he was always a devotee, but uh, it, he's developing more under the tutelage of Sukadev. Hmm? And, but there are other people in the audience also. 
yogis, for example, who have some mixture of bhakti in their discipline and so forth. They're all gathered at the bank of the Ganges, right? So he says, for them, now, Sugadev will speak about the natural world in such a way, a kind of a mystical, subtle, yogic, that constitutes a mystical, subtle, yogic meditation on the world. So again, it's a, it's a way of speaking about the world that will foster, hmm, and it's for different persons in different spiritual disciplines, knowledge of the self, the uncovering of the self. And now you might think, well, that's interesting and all. Uh, uh, we, we, we tend in the modern world to, to think about the world very differently and speak about it very differently, trying to understand it. And it's thought if you understand the world and how it works, what its constituents are, what it's made up of, then uh, you'll have gotten to the bottom of things, right? What life's all about and so forth. And that this is a much more sophisticated way of examining the world and will certainly benefit much more from that type of investigation in a, in a, in a controlled environment and with objectivity, get to the bottom of it and, so, and know what the truth of the matter is. By that kind of approach, then these old approaches uh, you know, that you find in the Bhagavatam that uh, sound superstitious and so on and so forth. But we can ask ourselves, how close by that method, modern method, are we getting to understanding the nature of the objective world? Hmm? You know, here's a book. Okay, let's see. What's, what is this book made out of? Okay, it's made out of paper and ink. Now, paper means, okay, came, where does it come from? It comes from trees. You know, where, then we go, where do trees come from? Well, they come from seeds, and, you know, and then you, you can go on like this, obviously, uh, forever, and that's what's happened. Hmm? And the more uh, we've looked uh, at material nature, at the Maya Shakti of Bhagavan, the more, if we're objective and we're honest, the more bewildering it has become, the more confusing it, the more difficult it is. I mean, some of the greatest observers, if you will, by scientific method, have said such things like, what was that Richard Feynman? He said, hmm, it's little things with smaller things jingling inside of it. <laughs> he doesn't mean to be joking. He's saying, I mean, that's about what we found out. <laughs> you know. Uh, hmm. There's another fellow, what was his name? Eddington, Arthur Eddington, an Englishman. He said, we're looking at something... It's something that we don't understand and we don't know what it's doing. We don't understand it and it's doing what we don't, what we don't know. <laughs> and these are not jokes. I mean, that's funny, but I mean, this is the limit, the extent of the knowledge that we've arrived at as to the nature <coughs> of the objective world. The uh, great uh, physicist, um, what was his name, Heisenberg, said we are not investigating nature in its pristine state, you can't even get at it. We're only investigating the nature of human investigation into nature. Hmm? And Neil Bohr, another physicist, I suppose he was a contemporary, uh, he said that about this statement of Heisenberg, that it's not a statement about the temporary limits of human knowledge. In other words, now we're investigating the nature of human investigation, but we're going to get beyond that 
and somehow eventually get to the pristine nature of nature and its virgin state and understand it. He said, no, it's not a statement about the limits, the temporary limits of human knowledge, but a statement about the nature of human knowledge hmm? that can be, that, in other words, you never can, you cannot understand the Maya Shakti of Bhagavan. And this is exactly what the Bhagavatam says. Indeed, the word Maya, the Sanskrit word Maya, Maya, among other things, means to measure. In modern science, it's very much trying to measure the objective world. And the Bhagavatam says, that is a folly. That is a fault. Now, you may measure, and, you, and people will object to say, well, wait, we know a lot about the world. We can go to the moon. We can send satellites up. And Swami, I saw you talking on a cell phone, you know. So, I mean, without that, you know, it doesn't mean that we can't know something. Hmm? We can't observe certain things about it or observe our observe, observation of it and, and derive from that some, put that in the hands of a technician and do something with it. Hmm? Sure, we can do those things. But are we getting to the bottom of what it's what it's like, what it's constituted of? The very scientific discipline that seeks to do that says to the honest and objective uh, observer, "No, you cannot." Hmm? Because why? Well, because of well, because of the observer. <laughs> because so there we are. We looked inside the atom, and what do we find? We found ourselves. Something like that. We, we have to deal with ourselves. In the modern world, uh, now, I mean, you know, this, this, it, it, the, it, in, in classical physics and the Newtonian physics, the world is a closed system, right? It, it's a closed system. We have electromagnetic uh, forces, we have gravity, we have weak and strong nuclear forces. These are the basic forces. And we, we, we know that and so forth, and, and we make things work by knowing that, that work for us, that titillate us, and, and are the carrot that's way before us that, of acquisition and, 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 and relative comfort through technological uh, magic and so forth, that the carrot that I'll be fully satisfied if we keep pursuing this. Hmm? Keep tweaking it and... Uh, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, as I said before, it's an, it's an unlimited meal of appetizers that will never satisfy, you know, that you only get indigestion from. Hmm? Hmm. But, uh, but, but because it keeps producing this carrot that, that, that looks sometimes like it's getting better, it's getting better. It's getting better. Everyone's, you know, still dying and, there, you know, but, but we've cured this disease. But you know, this other disease has come now, and the disease from a, of, of an over-industrialized uh, world and effort to 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 control the natural world uh, has alienated people from one another to an extent. I mean, people are thinking, "I don't exist." Do I? I mean, these are really some uh, mohita jiva. This is really a bewilderment. Hmm? Because I can produce things, and there's a carrot from this is a carrot, if you will, that, that, that my satisfaction, my fulfillment will come in due course. I'm invested in this, and then I, even when it comes to the point where another scientific insight from observation comes to bear, that says, "Well, wait a minute, it's a quantum world, 
then there's just like this resistance from the, the, the classical world to the... Uh, Einstein said, if quantum theory is true, it's the end of physics. That's what he said. Hmm? So people try to, you know, like, okay, we'll give quantum a little room here, but like not too much room. Or we're going to end up out there with those mystics. Hmm? And there's going to be, it's not a closed system anymore. There could be something coming in from outside. Hell no. I'd rather reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Hmm? This is an old, an old statement. Hmm? We've been, we've been, we're, we, we're, we're moving along this with jivo jiva One living being is food for another, and there's a hope that, that I, I can conquer. Hmm? I'll survive in this way. I'll reign here. Hmm? This is all Maya. This is what the Bhagavatam said. This is what this is the way Maya works, Maya Shakti. Hmm? Krishna says in the Gita that what is that verse? And he says, he says, Mama Maya, Duratyaya, Mami Vyaparpadyante, Maya Metam, Tarantite. He says, Mama Maya, Duratyaya. He says, You don't have a chance, he said. In in, in 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 understanding my Maya Shakti, the magic of my, and that's basically what, for example, now the quantum theory says it, that it's magic. Things you know are in two places at the same time, and all this kind of stuff. Hmm? Now, some thoughtful people, of course, in the scientific community who are marginalized and and, and whatnot, they want to speak about this, and, and as they do, where do they go? You know, they they they, they drift towards. Eastern spirituality, where consciousness has been the subject, which is the subject of the Bhagavatam. What are the primal forces in the Bhagavatam? Is it gravity, electromagnet? No, it's Sakya, Dasya, Vatsalya. These are the forces, if you will, that Bhagavatam is concerned with. And these are the real forces of the world. Think about it. These are the real forces. If you're in your laboratory and you're about to make the big experiment, but you hear... Your son has just gotten in an accident. Your Vatsalya will take over. Hmm? And you run out of the laboratory. These are the forces that are really uh, driving us, if you will. That subjective component. Hmm? We have an objective matter and a subjective component. That is the subjective side. This is the significant side. This is the more important side. This is a, this is a side, then, that if we pursue it objectively that means yoga some objectivity you have to stand back from the things that you are attached to that's obscuring your understanding of what they are and what the maya shakti is doing to you hmm? it's, a, it's an objective discipline very extremely radically uh, objective discipline yoga hmm? It's not something you do at your job, but you have to do it all the time. You have to step back from the world, objectively. Mm -hmm. Then you pursue the discipline of the text, following credible people and so forth. Mm -hmm. And can we really dismiss the experience of the mystics? You cannot. You cannot dismiss the experience of the mystics. What is the experience of the mystics? In a very generic sense, uh, it's a sense of unity of all beings. 
This is the beginning, a oneness. Before we get into the difference of bhakti that's, that's simultaneous with the oneness, there's a oneness, there's a unity. I feel, I, I've, I've, I feel that I feel that I've transcended my experiences. I've transcended that which has gotten in the way of my ability to love others. Their race, their religion, uh, their personality, their likes, their dislikes, their hots, their colds, their goods, their bads, different from mine. I couldn't get close to them. I wanted to. In mysticism, the mystic experiences, I've, I've arrived at that. I've transcended those artificial differences and I found I'm standing on the, on the, on the ground of, of being and I'm seeing everyone stands here. This is what we have in common. Not only as humans, but with, with, all, all, with all life in all forms that it, that it appears, a unity. And so a kind of a compassion, if you will, for the plight of those who have not experienced this when they're all in pursuit of it. Everyone is, in one sense or another, in pursuit of, you know, you want to la be loved by as many people as possible and, and love as many people as possible. Hmm? But so many things get in the way. Now, what I want to say to you is that about this experience, it's, it's, it's not a question in any rational person's mind whether this experience exists. People experience an ego-effacing transcendence of the conventional sense of self. I'm American. I'm Indian. I'm a man. I'm a woman. People experience this. Rarely so, but they do so in the context of the spiritual discipline. And India seems to be have a pretty good disciplines for producing that. And imitations of it, too. Unfortunately. So... You cannot deny that the experience is there. What you can question is, what's the nature of that experience? What is that experience what people say that it is when they're there? Hmm? That they've transcended, for example, biological death? That's how they feel. But you, that's how they feel. But how do we know that's what it is? So they say. But that's not a useful question. It's not a useful question. When the person says, well, you feel it. You try it. You say, well, it's too hard. Can you give me some other proof <laughs> to, to you know, entice me to go along? Or, you know, no, you have to go yourself. Uh, 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 you may say, well, I don't think that the person's actually transcended biological death. And I say, it doesn't really matter. Hmm? The person, the mystic, is experiencing what you're looking for. Admit it. Hmm? He says it constitutes a transcendence of biological death. We know this. It constitutes an ego death. And what's the meaning of life to a person whose whole life is centered around thinking, I'm an American, these are my children, this is my wife, this is my house. If I was to say to you, I'm going to take away your wife, your house, your children, you could say, you're killing me. I'm dying. I'm dead. I, I, have, I have no reason. That's what happened to Arjun in the Bhagavad Gita. I've got to kill all my relatives. I'm dead myself. There's no meaning to my life anymore. Hmm? Because his sense of I was derived from his attachments, his sense of my. 
And Krishna's telling, nothing belongs to you. Yes, slay them. He's feeling like, I'm dying. Hmm? That is transcended. Hmm? Whether it's biological death, it's ego death is transcended hmm? entirely. You may say, well, I think it's just the plasticity of the brain that just... And I say, my brain is pretty plastic right now. You know, however you want to talk about it. I don't care. Try it. Hmm? It's, it's a valuable, rewarding, deep experience. It's not cheap. It's difficult to attain. And it's very much what people, if you really talk to them, really want. They want to love and they want to be loved. Hmm? And this experience is, a, is, is unlimitedly, as they say, more profound of an experience of loving hmm? and even of being loved hmm? as well than any other semblance of that that you can get by, by getting rid of this one and finding a new one or, you know, or having more kids or get a dog or, you know, whatever it is to find and feel love. Hmm? And it's from this basic experience that is cross-cultural for mystics. People say, well, why should we believe in, you know, the God experiences? One guy says it was like this. Another person says it was like that. Another one says God was talking to them over here. Why should we listen to that? We want to, you know, it's inconsistent. In mysticism, in mysticism, in all religious traditions, we find enough consistency that we have to take it seriously, having a consistent experience. And within that, there are nuances. And that becomes a very interesting subject. That's what Bhagavatam wants to deal with. Nuances within the oneness. The nuances. And it wants to play out the nuances. It, in fact... It's, it more or less says the oneness, that's just a given. That's like 101. There's a difference between you and the body. The consciousness underlies the whole thing. This is the ground of being and so forth. But I don't want to just know the ground of being. I want to dance on the ground of being. Hmm? I want to celebrate on the ground of being. This is, what, this is the idea of Krishna. Hmm? The consciousness of consciousness. Dancing under the influence of Radha's love. Nietzsche said, Nietzsche, if there was a god, he would be a dancer. Hmm? Hmm. Certainly he is. And so, some word about Maya, it was thought here in the text, should be said if I'm going to talk about the jiva, because for the most part we find the jivas in this condition, under the influence of Maya, trying to measure, trying to control the environment. Hmm? Trying to trying to reign, if you will, as I said, in hell, because it's hell to be in a place where you could be somebody's dinner tomorrow night. One living being is food for another. I mean, I don't think at all. You don't get up in the morning and think maybe somebody's going to eat me tonight, but <laughs> but it could come to that. And in, in another sense, it is that. Hmm? Corporations are bleeding you and. Uh, advertising things that are that aren't even good for you, and you're slaving to. You are somebody else's dinner. You understand? <laughs> You're out there slaving to get something and they're slaving to trick you into buying it and then make you think that you need it. And they're doing it to themselves as well. It's, you are somebody else's dinner. That's not a very nice idea. That's the, but you'd rather reign in hell 
That's hell. Hmm? Then to serve in heaven. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> this is Maya. This is, what, this is Maya. This is the influence of Maya. Hmm? Hmm? We should say to people, you know, you try this yoga. Try meditation. Come to bhakti. Hmm? Yeah, it may take some time, but we have great persons in our lineage who are examples of, of mis the mystic experience. We find their their their, their company is, is is very very good. Even even little moment, people who have it, they think, if I could just bring them to the bring them to the Swami, the Swami, sw sw Swami, say something to him. You know? That's how they feel. Swami, did uh, yeah. meet this person? Say hello. They, they think they're so much moved by that. They're thinking even a little touch of that. Will be very valuable. Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastrik Hoi. Lava Matra Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi Hoi. The Bengali statement, huh? Of Chaitanya Charitamrita. It says, the, a fraction of a second of Sadhu Sangha association with the Sadhu that will change the course of your life. Hmm? We've all had some fraction of a second, knowingly or knowing, unknowingly. That's why we find ourselves in a place like this. Hmm? So many sadhus, I come to learn from them. Look at my good, my good fortune. So many people, so interested in this subject matter, hmm? coming for hours. Hmm? We should invite people to such sangha. We're developing a community in North Carolina for that purpose to foster this kind of this kind of sangha. And it's not you know you don't need to proselytize with this kind of thing. It has to be what what this experience affords you by taking advantage of it. People want to experience that, want to taste that. They'll be drawn to that. Hmm? He says, the jiva is bewildered by maya. Hmm? It's tied up by the gunas, rajas, sattvas, sattva, tamas. It's not satisfied. Hmm? It can come out from that, hmm? he says. And the means for coming out from that, he describes in the next verse. He says, he's under that influence, the jiva, for he's struggling in birth and death. Birth and death means you're somebody's dinner, somebody else's your dinner. It means you keep changing places like this. You eat me, then I will eat you, and this kind of thing. This, this is love in the material world. Hmm? Let me eat you now, and later you can eat me problem. So, to come out from this, he says, the next verse, we'll talk about that in our next discussion tomorrow morning. He says, Vyasa saw the Bhagavatam as the remedial measure. He saw hearing about these things from sadhus, people who have some deep experience in this, to speak about it, bring it to life in our times and so forth. That will help us. Hmm? That is the way for, for coming out. It's not a difficult thing. Meditation is difficult. If I told you tonight, the problem is that you're thinking, that's the problem. Hmm? You're thinking. So stop thinking and know. If you can stop thinking, you might know something. The thinking is that you're trying to think and measure. You're trying to measure like, okay, I'm, I'm taking a shower and I you know, hope I get that job or you know, I get there on time. If I, I'm measuring, you know, trying to be efficient and, 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 and this is... The mind is moving like this constantly, right? So if I said, you know, you know nothing by this. Hmm? You, you will know nothing like this. St stop thinking. Hmm? 
So now you go home and stop thinking, it will be very difficult. But if I invite you to put this on your mind, this is what Vyas had on his mind. His mind stood still. Why? Not because he tried to make his mind stand still, because he saw something that made his mind stand still. He saw Bhagwan. He had the darshan of Krishna. Rupa Goswami says it in another way. Don't go to the banks of the Jamuna. Don't go there. Stay away from there. Why? Because there you might have the darshan of Krishna. Tribhangalalitam. Chamsundar. And if that happens, then you won't be able to think again. You will not be able to think, this is my wife, this is my son, this is my country, I am this, I am that. That will die. <laughs> That's all you're thinking. We're thinking ourselves. There is a false I. Some people in you know, neuroscience want to say that the, the I is illusion. They're right. The I am America and I am any. That is an illusion, that I. That I is only a reflection of consciousness in mind. Hmm? A reflection of consciousness proper in mind. So, anyway, if you see the Krishna, he said, then he would stop thinking in a very easy way. He would take over the mind. You won't be able to think anymore. I'm American, I'm Indian. You have to think, I'm his. And if you develop further, you go, he's mine. That's a very high idea. That is Prem. Mine. Krishna is mine. That is Krishna, you see. It will be difficult to say Narayan is mine. You say, I am Narayans. I belong to Narayan, Om Narayan. I am the servant of Narayan. But with Krishna, the measure, the intensity of the love in bhakti reaches such a pitch that the devotees say, Krishna is mine. That is mamata, minus. There is an identity that comes out of that. Just like your identity now is based on your my. My country, my home, my son, my profession. My thoughts, hmm? that is me. Attachment to such forms an identity. And Chaitanya Dev says, means, I am the servant of, of the son of Nanda. You're not saying I'm the son of God. I'm the, I'm the servant of I'm the servant of the son of Nanda, who came out of the body of Nanda. Bliss, himself, and Nanda means bliss, of course. Nanda Maharaj, I come out of the body, oh, and the son, and the, I, I belong. I, I'm, he, he, he's developing this minus. He says he's really saying, I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. If a girl marries a young boy in the Vedic culture, then she'll go and live in the house of, the, of, the, of, the, of his father, hmm? at least for some time. Hmm? Mahaprabhu was saying, I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. I want to be the, I want to be the wife of Krishna. Hmm? This, is, this is my idea. Hmm? And the wife knows he's mine. Hmm? And it's a fact. Hmm? We may know him, Mr. Patel, Mr. Mr. Uh, Chakravarti, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Smith, Mr. Bill, 
<laughs> by so many different names, but she knows, and what name she calls him by, he has to answer to. Hmm? Right? Who knows what she calls him? How she knows him? She's, he's, he's, he's hers. The pretense is, she's his. But the fact is, he's her. I mean, this is just a mundane example of Krishna conquered by bhakti. That is what Krishna means, you see. Hmm? You understand? That's why we say Jai Radhe and Jai Radhe, because Bhakti has taken precedence. Hmm? So to arrive at this, then, to penetrate Maya, to come out from that, that's a, that's a, such a trouble to try to understand the objective world. So problematic. So difficult. Hmm? And to think as hard as you can and just become more confusing. Hmm? And then you become so bewildered by it that you think you're getting some. She lets you think you, you're getting there. You're just about there. You're just about. I heard, with regard to consciousness, I heard um, John Searle. You know, John Searle is a famous uh, person in the philosophy of mind teaches at Berkeley, he was in an interview, and, he's, and the interviewer asked him about, of course, the subject was consciousness. They have a different idea of consciousness, of course, to some extent, than we do. As I said, they're looking at what we call the reflection of consciousness in mind, rather than consciousness proper. But at any rate, he said, he thought, if we could just get rid of the religious bias for so many years that's been burdening us, we'd be free to think, you know, without that. And then I think that within a thousand years of science, that we will be, uh, we will be able to explain consciousness, and I, I, I thought, boy, is he in Maya? <laughs> I mean, that is like Maya. It's just so beautiful. It's just amazing, amazing to watch that. Fascinating to watch that. First of all, he said, if we could just get rid of our religious bias that we've been burdened by, hmm? but I don't think that the religious ideas are something that have been artificially imposed upon us. I think that when consciousness was unburdened by any ideas that it gravitated towards a sense, as I said in the beginning, that there's more to me than what meets the eye. In human life, we have religion. And in human life, we have consciousness, according to the Vedanta, starting to feel itself. We find self-consciousness. We don't find self-consciousness to the same measure in the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom. But we speak about... Consciousness expressing itself relative to the vehicle that it's in. Hmm. When it's in a human vehicle, it starts to be able to, it's facilitated to contemplate itself. So we have self-consciousness. And we have, you know, we have, the, we have, we feel, I'm a self, I'm a self. Hmm. So, of course, they can't quite figure that out because they're trying to figure out w which neuron, you know, does it or how many of them are, or is it there at all. So he said, anyway, if we could be free from the religious, religious bias, but I thought, or burden, we have not been burdened in a sense. Religion comes naturally in the sense that the heart of the religious idea is that there's more to me. There's more to, there's more, to, there is meaning to life. This is the basic consciousness unburdened by anything will start to feel like this. Hmm? Naturally, it will start to feel like this. It's, we, 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 we've swum. We swam? 
We swam under the water. We've flown in the air hmm? as fish and as birds, the idea is. Now in human life, we feel like we could do anything. We feel like we could fly to the bottom of the, up to the top of the sky and the bottom of the ocean and so forth. So we create a plane and a boat and we're trying to... Because hmm? according to Vedanta, what are we feeling? We're feeling that ourself. Self doesn't have limitations. A yoyam, a sha, what is it? Nainam dahati pavaka. Gita says it can't be burned by fire, can't be cut by wa- by by weapon, withered by wind, drowned out by the water. In any condition, consciousness is existing. So when self consciousness starts to manifest, that we start to feel like, hey, I I could. We start to feel. Then the world, in one sense, says no, no. But we're moving against that. Then you form philosophies, if you will, or religions that, you know, or you get help from outside to do so, is the idea, revelation. Hmm. It says, yes. Revelation is a big yes. Oh, but it begins. It means, yes, it's an affirmation. What you are thinking, yes. Your question, yes. You say, what's the question? The answer is, I am the question. Human life is a question. What am I? Why am I? This, this arises in human life. Why? Why? Doesn't it? The Veda says, you know, yes, yes, yeah, yes, you are the more, there is more, you, you, you are the more. Hmm? What am I? What is the more? What, what is the meaning? What is, yes, there's a purpose. You're the purpose. You're the meaning. Your consciousness, in that sense, like the Upanishads begin to say, your, your, if you want to know what God is, what will you do? What's the, what is most like God in the world? Of everything in the world, what is most resembles God? Hmm? We do. Yeah, the Upanishads says, let's get started here. Says, You're God. How's that? That's a start. That goes on from there. You're not God, too. Therefore, some mohita jiva. <laughs> you can be bewildered. And maya chatarapashrayam. God cannot. She stands at a distance. But you can be bewildered. You are like you are like God. Your consciousness. You are not a thing, and the best things in life are not things. Hmm? So he said, I thought, it's not really a burden. I can see how it might have gotten like that at a point for some people when it becomes dogmatic and and it, its essence, its purpose is, is lost and the heart of it is... But the other thing he said, in a thousand years, and I thought, well, that means you absolutely know absolutely nothing about consciousness. Science has only been around modern science for a couple hundred years and it's accelerating in its understanding of things, kind of, or it seems, uh, at a much greater rate, faster rate now than it was previously. And you need a thousand more years of that? And you think that it will understand. I thought, you don't understand a thing about consciousness, and that's a fact. Hmm? We can understand some things about it. We can understand how there are things that, that re- correlate with, with it in the brain. and so. But that's a given in Vedanta. It's a given in Vedanta that there's going to be a correlation between the objective brain matter and the subjective consciousness. But that's hardly getting to the root of what consciousness is. So we need a different method. Hmm? This is the method given in Srimad Bhagavatam. How the jiva can get out of maya. Hmm? How it can know maya. 
And it doesn't mean, oh, well, if I transcend and I know Maya, then I'll know everything that the scientists are trying to know. No, it says, you'll know Maya in this way. You'll know that you cannot know Maya. Mm-hmm. You know what else you'll know? You'll know that you cannot know Brahman. He who knows, says he knows Brahman, Upanishad says, does not know Brahman. He who says he does not know Brahman, he knows Brahman. So it's a healthy kind of theistic agnosticism that we are advocating here. Hmm. An unknowing, to be comfortable with an unknowing. And isn't love like that? Isn't love a kind of a knowing and unknowing at the same time? Hmm? You know, I know I, I I love you, but I don't know if you love me. Or <laughs> you know, it's kind of there's some in, uh, insecurity in that in in that security. Hmm? It's all again, it's all bad to bad. This is a love doctrine. It must be like this. Hmm? Uh, I'm going to talk about tomorrow, Shrimad Bhagavatam, because the next verse says that the remedial measure for the jivas bewilderment by Maya is Srimad Bhagavatam. But just to end on this, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. Briefly, Srimad Bhagavatam, I began by saying, is the hub around which all the sacred texts orbit and so forth and are to be understood in the context of. Um, and there's a story of the father who sent his son to Benares from Vrindavan to get an education. So he sent his son to Benares and his son got an education. son came back. father said, so did you get an education? He said, yes. He said, very good. I studied this book, this book, this book. The father said, did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, I don't think that was on the list. No. So father said, oh, then you didn't get an education. Go back to Benares and study Srimad Bhagavatam. Then you can say you got an education. So he said, all right. He went back to Benares. It's a seat of learning, Benares. And uh, he studied Srimad Bhagavatam. Then he came back. And father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes. Now I know hmm, that... Before, I didn't have an education. Now that I studied Srimad Bhagavatam, I know that uh, I've got an education. Father said, oh, very good. Did you understand Srimad Bhagavatam? He says, yes, yes, I understood. He said, go back to Benares (laughs) and study Srimad Bhagavatam again. (laughs) So, obedient as he was, son went back to Benares, studied Srimad Bhagavatam again. He came back. Father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes, and now I know why you sent me back. I thought I had understood it by you know, studying it once, and I studied it again. I realized I didn't understand it anything the first time. So, so his father said, "So now you've understood Shrimad Bhagavatam." He said, "Yes." His father said, "Go back again, <laughs> and you studied Shrimad Bhagavatam." Yeah. Well, again, he studied Shrimad Bhagavatam. Again, he came back. His father said, "You studied the third time. Did you do it?" "Yes, yes, I studied." And so, did you understand Shrimad Bhagavatam? He said, "I cannot understand Shrimad Bhagavatam." Father said, now you understood Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> hmm? See, this is what we're studying. Oh, students forever, hmm? of the, the, such is the nature of the subject. And whether you study the Maya Shakti, the, the, the objective world, or whether you study the conscious world of Bhagwan and his internal Shakti, hmm? you never get to the bottom of that. And that's a good thing. Hmm? Hmm? Unknown and unknowable, but that does not mean unlovable. And loving is really knowing. Hmm? Loving, not loving is essential knowing. Not the knowing of all kinds of extra baggage that I'm carrying around. But, hmm? When you love, then you know what to do. Hmm? Any question? Yes? Your story reminded me of a story I heard uh, Vishnu Jai Maharaj one time asked Prabhupada. Prabhupada 
instruments that we can measure how Krishna conscious someone is. And Prabhupada <laughs> took that question and said, yes, we have the uh, Kartal Murdanga. <laughs> you can't measure. Those are the instruments, though. <laughs> Those are the instruments. That's a very cute answer, actually, a very profound answer. These are our instruments. Yes. Make music, he's saying. Try to make music. What can you do? Make music. Make music is a way of saying, I don't understand. I, I'm trying to express something that's it's uh, beyond beyond thought. Yes. <coughs> verse uh, Brahma, the head of our sampradaya, made a similar thing. No. I don't, in the tenth canto. He said, if you could roll up all the stars in the sky, and something like this, and all the grains of sand on all the beaches, like they were your bedroll, you know, just like roll it up, got control of it. If you could count every atom. And the idea is, and Shiva counted every atom, too. He said, I wait, you would know nothing about Bhagwan. Even if you could completely understand the Maya Shakti, which you can't. I mean, you can understand it essentially, that it has an effect on the jiva, that if, if removed, allows the jiva to experience its full potential with the ingress of bhakti, hmm? but otherwise not. They also hmm. express, some may say they know Krishna. Uh-huh. But oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> some may say they know Krishna, but as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> my foreheads are spinning. I have just, that's that beautiful Leela. Krishna's, Krishna's, Krishna shows him hmm, that you thought that the universe emanated from the pores of Vishnu. Hmm? That's a very interesting idea. Uh, but I'm showing you, Vishnu's emanate from me. Hmm? What is my position? <laughs> and Brahma's foreheads are spinning round and round and round. Hmm? What else? You've been a very patient audience. Yes? He says, how is Jiva Shakti and Hladini Shakti related? Hladini Shakti means um, it's the essence of uh, the Swarup Shakti. And in the Jiva we find Satchidananda. According to the Vedanta, the Jiva is a unit of Sat, Chit, Ananda, a unit of being, knowing, and loving. You wanted to get a concrete idea of the nature of the self. Well, <coughs> we had a unit of being, knowing, and loving. Right? Hmm? Being, knowing, and loving. Satchit Ananda. And Hladini, Sandini, Samvit. This is like being, knowing, and loving um, on steroids. Something <laughs> like that. It's a given different name. Hladini. <laughs> Sandini, Samvit. Samvit means knowing, really. Pladini means loving. Uh, Sandini means being. Hmm? But it speaks about a, a different kind of existence, being. Hmm? 
different, uh, a, a, such a kind of uh, 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 extraordinary knowing and, and loving that constitutes Leela and Prem and so forth. Hmm? Prema Mai, Radhika. She is Ladini Shakti, Asmad. Radha Krishna Pranai, Ladini Shakti, Asmad. Radha Krishna Pranai. <laughs> Radha is the love of Krishna manifest in, which, in relation to which he becomes the object and the subject-object dynamic in the unity of consciousness is manifest for Ladini Ladini Shakti Rasmat for loving hmm? exchange and so forth so hmm? Bhakti Bhattu says that if Radhika is the primal Shakti, as Krishna is the primal Shakti-man, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, hmm? if all manifestations of Bhagavan have their origin in Krishna, as Bhagavatam teaches, and all manifestations of Shakti have their origin in Radhika, right? then that means, he says, that the Jiva Shakti and the Maya Shakti have some relationship with the Swarup Shakti, the essence of which is the Ladini. You follow me? And that's what you're asking about. So he says, because the Jiva is constituted of Sat, Chit, Ananda, we find it to be a kind of a partial manifestation of Sandini, Samvit, Ladini. Hmm? That unto itself... has the potential of being overwhelmed by maya hmm? and unto itself has no potential for entering into a relationship with Bhagwan. Why? <laughs> a relationship with Bhagavan Sri Krishna is one in which the inherent ananda we call swarup ananda the, the ananda of his own swarup hmm? That ananda is exceeded by Swarup Shakti Ananda. When Krishna manifests as Radha, this is not something that happens in time, of course, but we can only use language to talk about it. The one becomes two hmm, in eternity. That means the, the Swarup Ananda, the Ananda of Krishna's own Swarup, manifests as Swarup Shakti Ananda because she is a Shakti. Hmm? She is a, she is a, a power if you will, of the powerful. Hmm? The primal power of the powerful. Hmm? It's like being exists. It's a tautology, but it, it, but it, but it, but it is. <laughs> and so, when this Swarupananda of Bhagavan manifests as Shakti ananda what we find is the Shakti ananda has the power to, to, to conquer, if you will, Bhagwan. It means he is Krishna Akarshini. This is the nature of Prem. Krishna's Krishna's Karshana means what? The power to attract. He is all attractive. Hmm? Prabhupada used to say, all the religions are teaching that God is the most worshipable object. Except us. We're teaching about the worshipable object of God. 
that God has a worshipable object. Hmm? The guru of Krishna is Radha. Hmm? The real guru. The Ragmar guru. Hmm? The Rasika guru. Not Sandy Panimuni. <laughs> but Radhika. Hmm? She is conquering him. Right? Her bhakti. Therefore we say Jai Radhe. She's the Vrindabhaneshwari. Right? He is the, the, the lord of the, the Vrindavan, the queen of Vrindavan, the Rani. Of. So, the point is here that this Swarup Shakti that Bhakti is constituted of has the power to conquer Krishna. The nature of the Ananda there is such that it, 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 it's exceedingly... Uh, I mean, it's hard to talk about it quantitatively, but it, it conquers Krishna. It has the power it, to to satisfy Krishna more than the Swarup Ananda, the Ananda that's inherent in his Swarup. Therefore, he's completely controlled. He becomes a son of Ishoda. He's a friend of Subal and Sridham, and, and they can beat him to, in a wrestling match. And he, he, he's hoping that Radharani will allow him in the door, and so forth. So Krishna is take, it's like the uh, same idea of the Upanishad. The one becomes many hmm? for his own pleasure. The, the many are the manifestation that they give, give him more pleasure. So, if we go to the jiva now, the jiva is a unit of Satchit Ananda, but the Ananda in the jiva does not have the power to conquer Krishna. It doesn't have that power. In fact, it's so weak that it may be overpowered by maya shakti. Yaya samohita jiva. That's what we're learning tonight. It can be conquered by maya. So if, this, if the ananda in the jiva can be conquered, overwhelmed by maya, how can the ananda in the jiva overwhelm Krishna? Hmm? And overwhelm means cause him to fall in love. Hmm? So, unto itself, the jiva can be bewildered by maya. Hmm? With the ingress of bhakti, which means the ingress of the sarup shakti, into the jiva, the jiva can overcome maya and have the power to, to conquer Krishna in love, if you will, hmm? to attract Krishna. You understand? So the jiva shakti is a partial manifestation of the sarup shakti in a sense that it's it's a unit of being, knowing and loving, but it's it's weak and and small. It can be overcome by maya. If you took off the maya, what would you have? You'd have and still, if you took off the maya, you'd have a unit of being, loving and knowing, but it still wouldn't have the power to conquer Krishna. Do you understand? Hmm? But when the Swarup Shakti, which is Bhakti, this is it comes is a grace, and when it comes to the Jiva through the Guru Parampara, then by cultivating that, the, the Jiva has the power to conquer Krishna. Means means to participate in Leela. So the Jiva Shakti just to go on the Maya Shakti. As I said these Shaktis are both coming from the Swarup Shakti in a sense, because the Swarup Shakti is the primal Shakti. Maya Shakti is Asat Achit Nirananda. Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, 
a distorted manifestation of the Srup Shakti. You have a partial manifestation, a distorted manifestation. Hmm? Does that help? Okay. Technical question, technical answer. Some of you are more schooled in this than others, so you can get something from it. But anyway, we've talked for quite some time. I don't want to go on. I know we're going to all want to take prasadam and associate with one another and talk about these ideas <laughs> and so forth, hopefully. I thank you very much for your time. Hey.